Well, good morning. How is everybody doing this morning? You guys doing okay? Yeah. Well, we are starting a new series today, Summer in the Psalms. That's how I always like to start my summer, poetry. Now, um, the Hebrew title for this book is the Book of Praises. And Psalms is the prayer book of the Bible. It's the place to learn about prayer. Now, the Lord's Prayer, in a nutshell, teaches you what you should pray, but it's the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is the place in the Bible where you go to learn how to pray, how to speak rightly and wisely with God. Now, every single possible human situation or condition is described and expressed in the Psalms, uh, and in every one of these conditions, you're instructed. You're shown how to pray, how to address God, and how to pray yourself through it. Um, just pray with me real quick. Heavenly Father, we're just so grateful for your word. We're so grateful that... Um, that throughout all of the centuries, uh, through the thousands of years that you've preserved your word to bring to us today. So, Father, as we look into your word, Father God, I pray that we would um, take these words into our hearts, into our souls, Father God, and that we would seek your face. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay. Now, the book of Psalms, all right? Uh, the great thing about starting off a series is I get all the, uh, all the informational parts, which is awesome. So, the book of Psalms is the lo longest book in your Bible. It has the longest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119, which has 176 verses. It also has the shortest chapter in the Bible, which is Psalm 117, which only has uh, two verses. Now, a lot of times people refer to the Psalms as the uh, Psalms of David, which is only partially accurate. Um, even though David was called the sweet, uh, the sweet psalmist of Israel, uh, he didn't write all of them. Um, did you guys know that there are at least seven different authors that we know of right now uh, of the Psalms? And we know that David is one of them. He wrote 73 out of the 150 Psalms. The sons of Korah, they wrote 12. Asaph, one of uh, David's chief choir directors and, and uh, uh, musicians, he wrote another 12. Solomon, uh, David's son, wrote two. Moses wrote one. And a guy named Heman wrote another. And a guy named Ethan wrote one. Now, here's a side note. Scripture is not a vacuum, and the cool thing about having these names that I just kind of read to you is that you can actually look them up and read about parts of their lives in the other areas of Scripture. For these guys, it's mainly uh, Numbers and uh, First and Second Chronicles. All right, now, in the Psalms, there are 48 Psalms that we call Orphanic Psalms. And why? Because they're orphans. They're anonymous. We don't know who wrote them. So the technical term is an orphanic psalm. Now, David may have written more than um, he put his name to, um, but that's what we know. And also, the period of the psalms covers a period of about, um, about a thousand years, okay? Starting all the way back with Moses and Exodus, uh, Psalm 90, he wrote that one. And then you go all the way till post-captivity uh, when they returned from Babylon, and um, the book of Psalms has, so it's about a thousand years. Now, the book of Psalms has also five different parts. Um, and I've read the Psalms a lot, and I didn't really know all this stuff until I did this study. Um, but it has five parts. It's easy to see. Uh, there are five sections or five books of Psalms. Um, you can actually see the different divisions in the Psalms by the notations in your Bible. So if you look, if you have your Bible with you today uh, or your app, if you look at the top of Psalm 1, Psalm 42, 73, 90, 107. At the top of each of these, it will say book one, book two, book three, so that you can, you can see where those divisions are. Um, now, someone has studied the Psalms, and they've made the notations that the five book of Psalms correspond with the first five books of the Bible, or the Torah, or the law. 
Um, so the first book of Psalms speaks like the book of Genesis about creation, the fall, the restoration of man. So the first book of Psalms has that emphasis, our relationship with God. The second book of Psalms speaks about deliverance. So deliverance by God, and that corresponds to the book of Exodus. The third book of Psalms is all about the sanctuary of God, which corresponds to Leviticus. Now, the fourth book of Psalms um, talks about rebellion against God, and that corresponds um, with the book of Numbers. Um, they tested God in the wilderness. They didn't want to go into the promised land, so they just kind of wandered around. And finally, the fifth book of Psalms is all about renewal with God. And that corresponds to Deuteronomy because in Deuteronomy, uh, they renewed their covenant with God and there was heavy emphasis on God's word. That's the fifth book of Psalms. Now, did you know that of all the books in the Old Testament, the Psalms are the ones that are most frequently requoted in all the Bible? Uh, they're the most quoted book in the New Testament and they're frequently on Jesus' lips. In fact, we know that as Jesus hung on the cross, it was the Psalms that Jesus prayed. And that's what the Psalms are. Um, they're the prayer book of God's people. They're the ready-made prayers spoken by people to God, while the rest of the scriptures represents God speaking to people. And so the Psalms, they help us to pray, to enter into relationship with, uh, with him, to communicate with him, and to praise him. Um, they're meant to be prayed, and they're meant to be sung. Uh, in fact, that is originally how the psalms were written. Uh, the, the psalms are a collection of 150 poems, are songs, and throughout the psalms, you will see musical notations throughout there. Um, and they cover a, the wide range of human emotions, everything from love and adoration towards God, sorrow over sin, dependence on God in desperate and trying times, and they speak of human fear, lack of faith, persistence, and walking with God in times of struggle, trial, and doubt. And even in the very darkest of times, they express thankfulness for God's care, devotion, and commitment to them. Now, there are also a lot of different genres of psalms. Now, first, we've got psalms of praise, okay? And that's what they sound like. They, they center around glorifying God for the works that he, have, he has done. Uh, they often include declarations of God's goodness and faithfulness. We have psalms of lament where individuals or communities cry out to God, expressing grief, rage, and heartbrokenness of the state of the world. It's something we could use right now. Uh, they express hurt, turmoil, agony. We have imprecatory psalms, which are kind of like a cursing psalm where it's where uh, someone asks to be delivered or to smite one's enemies. We have psalms of thanksgiving, psalms of remembrance. We've got psalms of wisdom, the most famous of which is Psalm 1. And lastly, we also have royal psalms and messianic psalms that allude to the coming of Jesus. And we've got psalms of confession, um, which are exactly what they sound like. It's the personal confession of sin. Now, if I were to describe your devotion time, okay, I'm going to guess that you pray, right? Everybody prays? Um, okay, I'm also going to suggest that you read your Bible. I'm sure that you do that. Now, I wonder... I'm not going to take a poll, but I wonder how many of you guys sing to the Lord in your daily devotional time, okay? And if not, try it. Add it to your daily devotions. It may not be fun for your family, but it'll be fun for you. You know, just close the door. It's called quiet time. But open the Psalms, open your heart, and, and uh, don't just pray, but sing. Now, you also probably read the Psalms more than any other book in the Bible, statistically, um, you probably do this because it covers the gamut of human emotions, from the heights of human ecstasy to the depths of human uh, despair. Um, in other words, you read it a lot because you relate to it. You relate to the experience of the psalmist. 
Now, the Psalms, more than anything else in the church's life, to me, are God's provision for people who find themselves in these situations. Actor Tony Hale, who's in Arrested Development, he says it like this. Sometimes when I pray, I have no idea what to say. The Psalms become a holy cheat sheet. Now, the, the book of Psalms is also packed full of theology. Every great doctrine of the Bible is found recorded in the praises of God's people in the book of Psalms. However, having said that, it is primarily not a book of theology to be studied, okay? It's a songbook. It's a set of lyric sheets, if you will. It's poetry, and their main purpose isn't instruction, but expressions of the heart made in the spirit of worship. Now, have you guys ever come across something in Scripture that you didn't understand? You know, you kind of, you read it, and then you're like, well, you know, that's nice. And you just kind of gloss over it, and you move on to the next thing. Because um, there's this concept that I've read about so many times that I didn't really understand until I come across this really long study by Tim Keller. If you guys like it, I can send you it. It's like a 110-page PDF. Um, and I'm, so I'm getting a lot of that from him. But I think it's so important because it really helped me understand and think about our relationship with God. And that's what I want to address here with you today is you. How is your relationship with God? How is your relationship with God? Okay, my hope is that all of you have a relationship with God, but I think we all may experience it a that relationship a little bit differently. Let me explain to you what, is I'm, what I'm talking about. Have any of you guys ever spent time with Christy Ingerbretson? Okay, Christy Ingerbretson is one of the most spirit-filled people that I've ever met. Okay, and whenever she talks about Jesus or the Lord, she has this unspeakable joy, this excitement, this expectancy, and she is so excited about who she is in God and what God is doing in the world. And, and, and when I look at that, I think it's really, really beautiful. Now, I experienced God a little bit differently. Um, I came to know God uh, about 20-something years ago, um, and when I was confronted with who God is and who I really am, um, I experience God like this on a daily basis. God, I don't know, how, why do you love me, God? Why? Why do you love me? How could you love someone like me? Why, 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 why? And it, uh, it's no, uh, it's no uh, coincidence, I think, that um, the first piece of Scripture that I ever memorized in the entire Bible, uh, the first piece of Scripture I memorized was Psalm 51. Have mercy, on, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy steadfast love, according to thy abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my sins, um, for I have sinned and, and my sin is ever before me. So that is the first piece of scripture that I, that I ever memorized. And um, there's a difference that I can kind of see. To me, see, God is king, savior, lord, sovereign, creator, maker. He's all of these things to me. And he's all of these things to Christy as well. But one of the things that I can tell about Christy is that Christy is a friend of God. I mean, we just sang about it. And I didn't I get it. I mean, I know it's here in the scriptures. The Bible says in Exodus 33, 11, it says that God talked to Moses as a man talks to a friend. Okay, in James 2, 23, Abraham, we're told, was a friend of God. Okay, so I, I didn't really, really understand that song. That's why actually I wasn't a big fan of that song because I didn't get it. You know, and then I found something in Psalm 25, 14. It says, the friendship of the Lord is with those who fear him and to them he makes his covenant known. Okay, the friendship of the Lord is with those who fear him, and to them he makes his covenant known. Now, uh, the word friendship is a translation of a Hebrew word, and, and it means intimate counsel and advice, the kind that an intimate friend would give to another intimate friend. 
Also, you might find in some of your translation, it says, the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, because that's also the meaning of the word, because it's to your friends that you confide in. It's to your friends that you share secrets. The message puts it this way. God friendship is for God worshipers. They're the one he confides in. So Psalm 25, 14 says that it's possible to have a relationship with God that is one of intimate friendship, okay, in which God is confiding us, that God is becoming, becomes our close friend. And that's what that's talking about, that through prayer, amongst the many things that we get from prayer, that prayer means that we can use it to cultivate a friendship with God. Now, our secular culture loves spirituality. Okay, as in I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. And I think what they mean by that is, is when they say I'm spiritual, but not religious is I want to be inspired. You know, I want to feel that, that I have this kind of connection to something divine beyond me, but I still want to live my life the way I want to live my life. I don't want the discipline. I don't want to have to deal with the tedium of the scriptures. I don't want the discipline of discipleship or the discipline of having to belong to community. And what's interesting to me is the biblical understanding of friendship with God actually gives you the intimacy that modern people are looking for. It actually gives you an intimacy with God that other religions can't offer. They, they don't even offer. They don't even try. And yet the commitment to truth, discipleship, to sacrifice, it's all there once we understand what it means when the Bible says that through prayer we can be friends with God. Now Aristotle thought this was outrageous. Okay, Aristotle believed that the idea that you could be friends with God or a God or the gods was crazy because you didn't have enough in common with them. And when he says that, he's actually giving us um, an idea of friendship that's right, okay? Now, C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Four Loves, Lewis says, look at eros, which, of course, is romantic love, okay, and philos, which is friendship love. And um, when, when you look at those, in their essence, they're somewhat different if you were to find them, okay? So in eros, you have two people looking at each other, adoring one another, okay? But in Philo's friendship, two people are side by side, you know, kind of shoulder to shoulder, and they're looking at something else. And C.S. Lewis says that the friendship actually starts with the explicit or implicit statement, you too, you know, that bothers you too, you like that ice cream too, you like that song too, you've had that experience as well. Friendship starts when people uh, when they're looking at the same thing that they have in common. You too. And that's the beginning of friendship. That's the beginning of a particular kind of intimacy that friendship brings. And so when Aristotle says that you can never, that no human being could ever be friends with God um, uh, because we don't have enough in common, it's actually possible when you, when you look at it in the scriptures. Almost every part of biblical theology shows you why friendship with God is possible. First of all, Let's talk about the doctrine of God. Okay, we have a triune God, a God who's not unipersonal, okay, but a God that's three persons in one, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, okay? Uh, he's triune, okay? And, the, they, and we know that they have loved each other and have known each other for all eternity, okay? In which case, you could actually say that God, the triune God, is a friendship. Now, St. Augustine pointed out that if we had a unipersonal, a unipersonal God who existed as a person from all eternity, and then later on he started to create angels and humans um, and things that he can interact with, see, because friendship can only exist between persons. So if, if the first thing that God did was had to create things to be in relationship, then the, the, his primary, the first thing would be power. 
And the secondary thing would be love. Okay? But because we have a triune God, a God who was a friendship from all eternity, um, therefore, friendship, communication, love, relationship, it's primary. So the, the doctrine of God is a friendship. And then when you look at creation, you and I were made in the image of God. Okay? What does that mean? Well, it means a lot. Okay, but let's look at it this way. Um, we are made in the image of God who is a friendship. And therefore, relationships are primary for us because we're made in the image of God. Now, then you have to look at the whole biblical history, the whole history of redemption. Do you realize that, that you could actually say, in a sense, that the entire history of redemption is a giant cosmic act of friendship? Because, first of all, God becomes a human being. God the Son becomes a human being. And in Hebrews, we're told that he was made like us in every way except for sin. So God knows what it's like to be human. God knows what it's like to live a life. But more than that, when you think of the cross, in, in John 15, Jesus says the greatest act of friendship possible is to lay down your life for your friends. Now, no other God of any other major religion could possibly lay down his life for his friends because no other God went through the first act of friendship, which is incarnation. I'm going to become like you. So I become vulnerable. I become mortal. I become killable. And then what does Jesus do on the cross? He becomes like us, not just in our life, but in our death, in our darkness, in our lostness. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's Psalm 22. In our lostness. So look at Jesus Christ. Look at the Son of God crying, yelling, being betrayed, all the sorts of things that we go through, feeling cut off from God. And now you can look up at Jesus and you can say, you too? Now, if you look at your relationship with God as a friendship, it kind of gives you a framework of how you can cultivate that friendship. So I'm going to give you a couple of things that I think that you can do um, that can cultivate your friendship with God. Number one, obedience. Okay? If you want to have intimacy, intimacy with God, obedience. Start there. And why? Because in John 15, 14, Jesus says, if you do what I command you, you are my friends. By the way, Psalm 66, 18 says, if I cherished iniquity in my heart, he would not hear me. Now, I, can tell, I can't tell you how many people that I've talked to or met that have lost their intimacy, their friendship with God, simply because they weren't obeying him. So, because of God becoming like us and the atonement on God's side, and because of the image of God, of God on our side, amazingly, we can be friends of God. But the fact is, is that God is a lot like us, but he's not just like us, okay? Yes, he's a lot like us because of the incarnation, but he's not just like us, and we must never think of friendship with God as treating him just like us, okay? And there's two reasons why obedience is necessary for friendship. Number one, if you obey him, you're going to become more like him. It's called holiness, okay? Um, and all of you guys, know, have any of you guys that have had friends for like an extended period of time know that friends rub off on one another. They move each other more towards one another, okay? Now, um, Jesus Christ has already done his part. He's come an enormously long way to become like us. But it's only through obedience that you start to move closer to him. Okay, you start to become more like him. Therefore, without obedience, there cannot be friendship with God. Okay, because in friendship, people converge. People come together. They learn from one another. They become more and more like each other in a lot of ways. 
Now, a second reason why obedience is necessary for friendship with God is that don't you always say that it's true that if you are going to be friends with someone, then you need to know that that person is being themselves, right? You don't want to, you want to make sure that it's not an act. You want to make sure that they're not being who you want them to be, but you need transparency, right? You need to make sure that that person is who they say that, who they say that they is. Well, how do you have intimacy with the Lord of the universe if you don't treat him like he is? You have to obey him obey him. Um, I look at it like this. My mom and my sister, um, years ago, my sister moved out from Texas and, and moved in and, and been living with my mom ever since. And they have the most amazing relationship. It is awesome. They laugh, they cry, they share secrets. Um, and uh, sometimes they get a little bit jealous. I mean, they are so close. But I think the reason why their relationship is so strong and so valuable to them is that my sister never forgets who my mother is. She always remembers that that's, our, that's not just my friend, but that's, they have a friendship, but that's, that's also our mom, okay? But I have to tell you, I think our churches are filled with people that come for a high on Sunday, but they're being disobedient. You know, they want to feel good. They want to feel spiritual, but not religious, you know? They want to have a feeling of intimacy, but they don't want to get their life in line. And Jesus said, listen, if you obey what I command you, you are my friend. So the first thing you need to do to have an intimate friendship with God, obedience. Now, the second thing that you need to believe in is grace alone through faith alone, that you can't earn it, okay? So um, if you're trying to have a relationship with God and you don't understand that you're not saved by your works or your moral efforts, that it's a gift through what Jesus Christ did on the cross. If you don't understand that, your relationship with God has to be a mercenary relationship. Basically, God cannot be your friend, so he'll be your boss, okay? Now, um, any of you guys that... Uh, that work, okay, uh, you, have an, you have a relationship with your employer. He's the employer, you're the employee. And he has to do this, this, and this, and you have to do this, this, and this. And if you uh, don't do these things, he can let you go. But if he doesn't come through with your benefits, you can just turn and walk. Now, if you, if that's your framework with your relationship with God, when God doesn't come through with whatever you've asked him, you're just going to walk away. And why? Because you were being friendly to God but you weren't God's friend. You weren't a friend. You're not loving because you've been loved. You're just doing because you've been done for. Now, Psalm 1, interestingly enough, says that the godly man or woman, okay, delights in the law of God and meditates on it day and night. The law of God is huge. It's over 600 laws that no one, uh, no one can keep except for Jesus, okay? And it just, it, from that perspective, it seems like a massive burden. But when you understand that Jesus came to fulfill the law so you wouldn't have to, that he lived the life that you should have lived, died the death that you should have uh, died in your place, okay? Once you look at it from that perspective, that Jesus has taken care of all the junk between you and God, it becomes something that you can actually use in your friendship. Um, because what is the law of God? It tells me what my friend loves. It also tells me what he hates, Okay? And actually, it's no longer a way for me to coerce and get benefits from God. It's a way for me to love my friend and to become like my friend. Now, another reason that you need to be in God's word uh, is that you cannot be friends with someone without a two-way communication system. Now, everyone knows that praying to God, uh, praying to God is kind of talking to God. But how do you hear God? See, friendship isn't friendship if it's just one way. And we know that God speaks to us in many ways. Sometimes we have feelings or promptings and things like that. Um, 
But if you're not sure that something is coming from God, I mean, we ask him a lot of questions. Should I date this person? You know, should I do this? Should I do this? Should I move here? Should I take this job? You know, but if you're not sure that it is from, not from your friend, that may be not the best information for you to act on, okay? Um, you know, because things can go wrong in your heart. So look, if you want to know that God is speaking to you, the only way to have a decent friendship, you have to know your friend is speaking to you. You got to go to the Bible. Because in the Bible, God is speaking to you. Now, Psalm 1, okay, is the first psalm. And psalms is a prayer book. But Psalm 1 isn't about praying. If you'll notice, it's, if you're looking at it, it's about meditating upon the word of God. And Eugene Peterson and some other people who have spent years studying the psalms say that the psalms is the gateway in the rest of the Psalter or the book of psalms. Okay, it's almost like saying that if you want to make sure that your prayer life is meaningful, you need to be deep into the Word of God. When you study the Word of God, God is speaking to you and you respond in prayer and you must be responding to what God says to you into uh, His Word, not just how you're feeling at the time. If it's friendship, it has to be two ways. It's prayer, listening to God's Word, okay, and then responding through prayer and listening to God's Word and then responding through prayer. That's how you do it. Okay, if you want to have a friendship, you're actually responding to pr uh, you're responding in prayer to the friend who exists and not just the friend that you want him to be. You've got to let your prayer life be strengthened in the word. Eugene Peterson says it like this. In a world full of prayers that indulge the religious ego and cultivate passionate longings, the Psalms stand out with a kind of angular austerity. Left to ourselves, we'll we will pray to some God who speaks uh, what we like hearing or to that part of God we manage to understand. But what is critical is that we speak to the God who speaks to us and to everything that he speaks to us in the Bible. There's a difference between praying to an unknown God who we hope to discover in our praying and praying to the known God revealed through Jesus Christ who speaks our language. So guys, you have to, if you want to know that God is talking to you, open your Bible, open up to the Psalms. God is speaking to you. You know, it's got to be two ways. Um, okay, so how do you cultivate friendship? Well, with God, obedience. You also have to need to understand that you can't earn it, okay, that it's a gift. Uh, you want to make sure that you are, have the ability to communicate uh, in two ways and that you're getting deeply grounded and rooted in the Word of God. Now, here's another one. Um, it's something um, I think that what's really important is for you to have a real experience of God's presence. It's something the Psalms called seeking His face. So let's look at, think about what the Bible means when the Bible says, you know, I, about seeking God's face. I seek thy face. You know, even today in our digital age, you know, if you've been connecting people through emailing or texting or social media or Zoom meetings, um, it is so different from meeting somebody face to face. Yeah? Right? Flesh to flesh conveys so much more information, so much more data about that person. It's, it's like you get a fuller picture when you're, when you're there face to face with someone. Well, there's something like that going on in the Bible when the Bible talks about seeking God's face. I mean, the Bible uses sensory language sometimes um, when it talks about prayer. Uh, in Psalm 27, David says, there's only one primary thing he asks, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord, okay? I don't think that he's talking about a literal vision to his eyes, okay? Um, you know, when Psalm 63 says, oh my God, uh, oh God, my soul, my soul thirsts for you, I've seen you in the sanctuary. I've beheld your power and glory. And because your love is better than life, I will praise you. And my soul is satisfied as with the richest of foods. You'll also notice in one of the Psalms that it says, taste and see 
that the Lord is good. Not know that the Lord is good. That's not what it says. It says taste. And why does the Bible use sensory language? Well, Jonathan Edwards is going to say, it's one thing to know God is holy with your mind, but it's another thing to sense his holiness in your heart, okay, in prayer, so that it changes you and it makes you not want to sin anymore. It's one thing to actually know God in the abstract is love. It's another thing to actually feel his love on your heart, to sense it on your heart. So you start to live loved instead of living such a needy life. You know, there's a difference, and you certainly aren't in control of when it happens, but friendship with God means that sometimes when you pray, you see his face. So here's one last thing that I have for you that I think that you can meditate on um, in order to enhance your friendship with God. Meditate on Jesus' death as an act of friendship. Okay, meditate on Jesus' death as an act of friendship because friends always let you in, but they never let you down. They always have time for you. And you just look at Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus, he made himself absolutely vulnerable to you. He let you all the way in, and of course, he never let you down. And he had all of hell coming down on him. And even then, he said, not my will, but your will be done. Now, Charles Spurgeon uh, said this. He said, Jesus Christ looked down from the cross and saw people denying him and betraying him and forsaking him and mocking him and rejecting him. And in the greatest act of friendship in the history of the world, he stayed. He just stayed. So my hope for us all this summer as we get into the Psalms that we get the Psalms into us. Okay, these have been passed down for centuries. And um, it's, it's almost like when you read the Psalms, we enter into a new communion with the saints that I think is really great for you. Okay, um, you know, I, I think that we'll learn to be step closer and closer to God. You'll find everything that you need in whatever situation that you're in. But this summer, I really want, I, I know that I do, but I would want all of us to just take one step closer in our relationship with Jesus. Because, I mean, Jesus, yes, he's Lord and he's king, but he also wants to be our friend. And I think Jesus is asking us the same thing that he asked Peter after the betrayal, after his resurrection, when he found him on the beach. He said, do you phileo me? Are you my friend? Are you my friend? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for um, the Psalms, God. We're so thankful that um, these were... Um, the prayers that you guided people in the proper way to respond to you, Father God. You are a holy God. You are almighty, all-powerful, Father God. But you want to be as close to us as a friend, Father. So, Father, we just um, pray that this summer, as we look into your word, Father God, that you would continue to mold us, shape us, and change us. That we would see your word in a new light, Father God. And that we would be people of the word, Father God. Because um, I can't imagine a better place to be than a friend of the king. We pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.